the Burj, the Burj Khalifa. Anybody from Dubai? Please forgive me if you're watching online. You're from Dubai, and I'm not saying this correctly. The Burj Khalifa. What is this building? It's the tallest building in the world. It's twice the height of the Empire State Building. It has 160 floors. It costs 1.5 billion American dollars to build. It has the fastest elevator in the world, 40 miles an hour. It's very fast. I'll be taking the stairs. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. No. It has the highest observation deck in the world and the highest swimming pool in the world. To build this thing, this thing is gigantic. It's hard to even comprehend how huge this thing is. 160 floors, 2,700 feet, half a mile high. It took a year just to build the foundation. Because you need a good foundation. You can't just plop a building on top of the ground and hope it doesn't fall over. That's silly. You've got to dig deep, and you need a ton of concrete. You need a ton of ballast. And so it took a year and 100,000 tons of concrete just to get this foundation so that it wouldn't crumble with the wind, with an earthquake, hurricanes, whatever it is. The Burj Khalifa. It needed a strong foundation to be safe. And we need a strong foundation to be safe. What is our foundation? What do we rely on? What is our hope in? What is our trust in? Where do we turn to? Our foundation must be in the Word of God. Without this foundation, we have none at all. If you are a Christian, we must be firmly rooted, have a strong foundation in the Word of God. Because if we don't, disaster will follow. The main idea I want us to understand today is that the people of God are a people of God's word. The people of God are a people of God's word. We do many things as Christians. We help the sick. We feed the hungry. We give hope to the hopeless through the message of Jesus Christ. We do many things, but all of that stems from a solid foundation in the word of God. If we don't have that, we're just another helping organization. We're just another social justice program. If we're Christians, we are rooted in the Word of God. If you're not a believer, everything that we say here is about this book, is God's revealed will to us. Amazingly, we have this. He graciously gave us the Word of God that would help us understand how we can praise Him, how we can live as neighbors. We have His Word, and we must be firmly rooted in this book. I don't know what your reading habits are now, if you're a Christian, with this book. COVID-19, I'm sure, has changed a lot of that. But it's really no excuse. We're not being persecuted. Our Bibles are not being burned or stolen from us. We can gather. We must be in this book, because this is what we need to know. We don't get it from the news. We don't get it from the media. We don't get it from our friends. We get it from God himself through his word. We must be in this book. And if you're not familiar with this book, if you don't know this book, please talk to myself. Talk to a believer in your life. 
And they will tell you how amazing this book is, how it's changed their life, and how we are to be rooted in this book. And so today we're going to be learning from a section in 2 Kings. It's a book in the Old Testament. And the book of Kings, it tells the story of kings. And in 2 Kings, it's a story of 30 different kings spanning over 300 or so years. Now, I'm not going to talk about all 30 kings. We're going to talk about one. And his name is Josiah, King Josiah. And we read about him in different places, but today we're in 2 Kings chapter 22 and the first 20 verses. 2 Kings chapter 22, we'll go in verse 1. Josiah, which name his name means God supports, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. Anybody have an eight-year-old or know of an eight-year-old? Imagine them being king or queen. Maybe scary. Josiah, who's a good king. His mother was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah from Bozkath. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor, David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and grandson of Meshulam, the court secretary to the temple of the Lord. We'll be testing on this after, by the way. Who did I just name? The court secretary was... Uh, secretary was Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. He told him, go to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him count the money the gatekeepers have collected from the people at the Lord's temple. Entrust the money to the men assigned to supervise the restoration of the Lord's temple. Then they can use it to pay workers to repair the temple. They will need to hire carpenters, builders, and masons. Also have them buy the timber and the finished stone needed to repair the temple. But don't require the construction supervisors to keep account of the money they receive, for they are honest and trustworthy men. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave, scroll, gave the scroll to Shaphan, and he read it. Shaphan went to the king and reported, Your officials have turned over the money collected at the temple of the Lord to the workers, and supervisors at the temple. Shaphan also told the king, Hilkiah, the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah, the priest Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the court secretary, and Asiah, the king's personal advisor, go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah, inquire about the words written in this scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in the scroll. We have not been doing everything it says we must do. Now, what on earth is happening here? First of all, if you're not lost in all the names, which, fair enough, you might be, what is going on here? What's this eight-year-old king doing? What is happening? At this point in the biblical history, there have been generations of generations of evil, wicked kings who worshipped other things that were not God. 
Why is an eight-year-old king? It's because his father was assassinated. His father was an evil man. I'm not saying he's rightly murdered. But his father was killed. And he was a wicked man. He did not worship God. And he had a short two-year reign. He was King Ammon. King Ammon's father was King Manasseh. King Manasseh. And he was an evil and wicked king as well. And so... For 57 years between Manasseh and King Ammon, when they reigned, they essentially forgot about God. They forgot about God. They worshipped different gods. They give honor and praise to different kinds of gods. And the, the, the people of God, this nation, was just spiraling out of control. And that's the kind of story we see throughout the Bible, is that God created this amazing world where he would walk with his people side by side in communion, perfect fellowship with one another. But that relationship severed when people decided to go their own ways. And we hope, as you're reading, for this future leader to come. Maybe a king will come. And kings do come. And they suck. And they're evil. And they worship other things. And they spiral out of control. And there's some good kings. They still screw up. And we, here we have Josiah, the eight-year-old. Maybe he's the one. And he rules for a number of years. And so he's repairing the temple. He's getting people to repair this temple. He's got a court secretary. He's saying, hey, get some money. Let's repair repair this place. And as people are doing it, they find this scroll. They find this, I don't know what it is, parchment, paper. It wouldn't be paper. But they found this scroll. And they call it, in verse 8, the book of the law. And they found it in the Lord's temple. And so what's significant about this? Well, essentially, as Josiah is ruling, they don't have the word of God. They're not really teaching it. Nobody's memorizing it. They're not teaching it in the temple. And then they find this scroll, the book of the law. And he reads it. And some people think, some scholars think that this book, this book of the law, refers to the book of Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible. And there's many laws in there and how you are to interact with God and with other people. So they think this is the book. And as they read it to King Josiah, he's freaking out. Because he's realizing that for generations, his people have not been following after the Lord and worshiping him alone. And he tears his clothes And he's upset. Rightfully so. The people continued to break God's laws. But Josiah is in grief. In despair. And he doesn't want to continue to sin against God. He repents. And repentance is a word meaning you turning away from your old ways, and you're turning 180 to God. Repent. Repentance. That's what's happening. Josiah tears his clothes. I picture Hulk ripping his clothes. That's very hard to do. They must have like cheaper clothes then. But he's, he's tearing his clothes in repentance. He's, he's sorrowful. His people, the people that he loves, his family, they're not following after God. 
When we look around us in our country, in our territory, do we have that same kind of feeling? If you're a Christian, you look around, who's talking about God in the marketplace? How often do you hear about God in the newspaper? Maybe you go to the grocery store in National Geographic, there is probably some article about Jesus. It's true, go to Savon. They got National Geographic's always about archaeological discoveries about Jesus. But we're not really talking about God as a society. In fact, maybe in past generations where you had Christianity as kind of like a, uh, okay, this is okay in society. Now it is distasteful to be Christian. We are hated. Around the world, people are jailed, beheaded, imprisoned, kidnapped for believing this. For believing this word, that there is one God, that there is one word, one holy book, and that whatever this book says, we are to obey it. We are to obey it. Are we rooted in the word of God? Canada has a tendency to go the way of Europe. If you look at Christianity in Europe, it's pretty dismal. They used to say over 300 churches were shut down every year in Canada. And with COVID and with the pandemic, they think it's more. And it's accelerating. We're not planting churches fast enough. We're not seeing Christians created? No. <laughs> let's, let's take that back a bit. We're not seeing people become Christians in us. We are going to be a secular country in my daughter's generation. We must tell people about the word. We must be rooted in the word. We must go into the marketplace. We must bring this to the political arena. We must bring this to the social media arena. We must get this word permeated throughout the world that people know God. This is our task. This is our task. So he tore his clothes, King Josiah. He's just in despair. He's desperate. He's broken. And he sent officials to, to seek God because he feared that his nation's disobedience warrants the wrath of God. The full judgment of his fury would fall upon his nation. We continue, verse 14. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to the new quarter of Jerusalem to consult with the prophet Huldah. She was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, the keeper of the temple wardrobe. She said to them, The Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go and tell the man who sent you. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this city and its temple. All the words written in the scroll that the king of Judah has read will come True, for my people have abandoned me and offered sacrifices to pagan gods, and I am very angry with them for everything they have done. My anger will burn against this place, and it will not be quenched. But go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, 
says concerning the message you have just heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against this city and its people, that this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on this city. So they took her message back to the king. So these words from this prophetess, this lady who's speaking on behalf of God, her name is Huldah, she's giving hope to Josiah because he's repentant and he's turning away from his wicked ways and turning to God. He's remorseful. He's sorry for his rebellion against God. He's sorry for his treason against God. He's sorry for going his own ways and for his nation. Josiah will be spared. We don't know who else will, but the nation will face God's judgment. But God will have mercy on Josiah. We know that at least. Who truly repented of his sin. This is not a popular message. I've spoken with pastors where they they don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to talk about judgment. They don't want to talk about wrath. I was listening to a sermon the other day. It was awful. He was saying, God is your biggest fan. He's in heaven right now taking selfies of himself with you. He is your friend before he is God. There is no basis for that in Scripture. God is king. God is Lord. He is sovereign over all things. It's not taking selfies. It's, it's ridiculous. But this is the message that we want. We want, to, we want to water it down so people come through the door. We want to say, listen, God loves you. This is true. We love us. Don't we? We love ourselves. We think, oh, God loves me? Great, I love me. Come on in, God. You can have a seat right here. I'm going to do my thing, and you just watch. That is not the gospel. That is not the God we serve. That is not the God of Josiah. It may be unpopular, but is it true? Will Yukon face the judgment of God? Will Canada? Will America? Will Israel? Will people face the judgment of God if they do not repent? Yes! If you do not have faith in Jesus Christ, God's full fury will land on you. And you will be punished for being unrepentant. But the words of Huldah, the prophetess in 2 Kings, it actually gives us hope. Because it wasn't too late for Josiah to repent. He he sought God's favor. And when When Josiah heard the word of God, he repented, he humbled himself, and he obeyed. When you read the word of God, dear Christian, and we have more scripture in our mind than we know how to obey, we must obey. And that's what we're asking the non-believing world to do. Live for this book. Live for this book. 
Have your life rooted. Have the foundation of all that you do and think and say and feel be rooted in this book. Yet we neglect it, don't we? It's easier to watch Netflix or binge watch or play video games or just actually sit there and look at clouds than to read this book. It is not natural to pray. It is not natural to want to read this. So we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and say, heart, take a seat. I'm hijacking you. I'm going to sit down. Whether in the morning or at night, sometime, I'm going to read your word. I'm going to prayerfully read this book. Maybe I don't understand it. I'm going to have to ask for help. I'll read it in community. Be rooted in this book. And there is hope. Yes, God's wrath will come. It will come, but there is hope. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It's a book in the New Testament. It says this, But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. The wrath of God is coming. But what does the writer of 1 John say? But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness, washed clean, forgiven. The debt that we owed, God extinguishes it. The Bible is incredible. It has this promise. And Josiah, this eight-year-old king who came to reign in God's nation as eight, it wasn't an accident. This was God's plan. He actually wrote about it before he was born. 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 2. This is what the Lord says. A child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David, King David. On you, he will sacrifice the priests from the pagan shrines who come here to burn incense and human bones will be burned on you. Josiah reforms the nation. He removes idol worship from the nation and the priests. He's this long-awaited king. There's been so many sucky kings in the northern kingdom, in the southern kingdom. There's been a few good ones. And Josiah comes, this little kid, and he, he does good things. He, he obeys God's word. He doesn't go left or right in God's word. And you think, wow, that's great. But now he's dead. So what, do you wait for another king and another king and another king? That's the problem. All kings will die. And the nation might be good for a little while. And we might put too much hope in the kings like we do in our elected officials. If only the government were this ideology, then we'll be good. Yeah, for a season, because they die, and that is the last enemy. What are we going to do about that? Josiah was this king. He was a great king. And when we, when we read about him, we should be encouraged that this guy, he walked with integrity with the Lord, but then he dies? 
Yet there's this message of hope that's there. That if we repent, God is just to forgive us. God is going to forgive me if I repent. How can he do this? How can he do this? Because there was a true and better eternal king who came. God came in the flesh. King Jesus is his name. He will not die. He will rule perfectly. He will obey God perfectly. He is God in the flesh. His perfect obedience to God is counted on our behalf by faith. John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this. In the NLT, the New Living Translation, what I'm reading from, it says, The Word became human. Other translations say the Word became flesh and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. How can God forgive us? Because the wrath and the fury and the judgment that should fall upon you and me fell upon Jesus Christ's head 2,000 years ago. Fully innocent, perfectly obedient to the Father, that King died in your place, in my place. Josiah couldn't do that. Josiah is simply a good example. But King Jesus did that for us 2,000 years ago. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. That's why it's good. Because he's alive. Three days later, he rose from the grave, taking our rebellion and treason and sin upon his flesh on the cross as a full ransom and payment for what we deserve. Put it in the grave. Three days later, rose again. And say, where I, he says, where I will go, where I am, you will be with me also, if you believe. If you believe. Do you believe? If you're not a Christian, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ has done this for you? That King Jesus has paid for your sins? And that you can be reconciled to God because of what someone else has done on your behalf. The Word became flesh. So if we were to be rooted in the Word of God, we were to be rooted in Jesus Christ. The Word of God became flesh. So we don't have these dead words that were written on stones. It is now written on our heart. It is written on our heart. It took the form of a person who is just like us. Who is just like us. And he was also God. He was the full payment of God's wrath that we deserve. And he was that for us. Christianity stands alone and apart from every other religion and worldview. And that Christianity says everything that you need to do to get to heaven has been done for you by somebody else. Every other faith in the world says you have to work. You have to do this. You have to do that. That's why you have Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons coming to your door. They're trying to get the merits to earn their place in heaven. Jesus Christ says, it is finished. 
It is finished. Come home, my son. Come home, my daughter. Is your life rooted in me? And Jesus confronts his, the followers of him in his day and other religious teachers. He says to them, you, you seek the scriptures. You, you seek after these words, thinking that they have eternal life. But these words testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me. Do not refuse to go to Jesus. Do not refuse to have your life rooted and founded upon his revealed word. We take this word so seriously because these are the words of life. Everything else is a house of cards. It will crumble and we will not be left standing at the end if we drop this book and forget it like the time of Josiah. I want to close us with one significant implication of the words in 2 Kings and what this means for each of us. We must be obedient to God's authoritative word. We must be obedient to God's authoritative word. We will fail at obeying his word. We will screw up in our marriages. We will screw up in our singleness. We will fail God. But the goal is not to be perfect. There's only one person who was, and it was Jesus Christ. But our goal is obedience. If there are things that we read and we do not do, we are sinning against God's word. We're sinning against God. And what do I mean by authoritative? That this book has the final say. Sometimes the children, they sing. I don't know how the tune goes, but the lyrics are. The Bible says it. I believe it. And that settles it. It sounds very closed-minded in 2021, doesn't it? It sounds very narrow. It's not very progressive. It's not very, I don't know what other words people use. It's hate speech. The Bible says it. I believe it, and that settles it. It's authoritative because these are the words of God. We don't go to a psychologist. We don't go to a doctor to look for final authority. The Bible has final authority because he's the one who created each of us. We believe in this book because what this book is about. It is the word of God, but it is also God's words. We need to hear from our Heavenly Father. We need to hear from God. We need to be obedient to this word. Two verses to close us. Psalm 119, verses 9 to 11. Psalm 119, verses 9 to 11. How can a young person stay pure? Josiah was quite young. He was eight. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Obedience to God's authoritative word. 
Young man, young person, young woman, do you struggle with pornography? Do you struggle with lust? Do you struggle? The answer, Psalm 119. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. Are we in the word? I'm afraid to look at statistics all the time about Christians and how we read scripture. It is getting worse and worse. We must know the word to obey it. We must obey his word. James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Obedience to God's authoritative word. This is what we need. Some of us, we just need to turn off the news. We're getting other authoritative word, and some of us are more passionate about the coronavirus than of Christ. We have more to say about the vaccine than we do about biblical laws. Our passions are misguided. We must be firmly rooted and obedient to this authoritative word. This is where our passion lies. It's in the word of God and proclaiming it to those who do not know Christ. And for those who do, we proclaim it to you as well. Because this is the word we must obey. Our lives must be founded on an unbreakable foundation that is invincibly perfect. And we do it for God's glory for our joy. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, search my heart and reveal to me where I stumble as well, where I fail to obey your word. And for each of us here, Father, let us not get comfortable in our Christianity. And for those of you who do not know you, would you open their eyes to see your word as beautiful, as glorious, as all-satisfying, as amazing. And that when we wake up, when we sit down, we're thinking about your words because it tells us about you. Father, help us to build our lives on a solid rock foundation of Jesus Christ, our Lord and precious Savior.